Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Where could I go but to you, Lord? Neighbors are kind, I love everyone. Get along with
Starting the sermon here in about five minutes or so. I uh, got a song, another song before we do that. And we're going to be sharing within the sermon today a, a wonderful miracle that we experienced this morning. A real miracle. And we see miracles in this ministry all the time. Praise God. And if you're part of a ministry or a church where you are not witnessing miracles on a regular basis, then you're not in the right church because God works miracles every day. Amen. That is his nature. That is who he is. He is that good and that powerful and that faithful. Praise God. Amen. So stay tuned for the message today of not my will, Lord, but thine, including the testimony of the miracle that we received this morning, which is an, uh, actually a confirmation of the sermon itself. And that is the miracles that we see the most often is huge, major, divine confirmations of the sermon. Absolutely mind-blowing. He is so faithful. But before we get to the sermon, let's do uh, two songs. And this first of these two songs is called, actually maybe just one, we'll just do only one song, then we'll go in prayer. This is page 32, So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Page 32. Jesus, how 
to a lot of people today. Very sad. But at least the name of Jesus does cast out demons. Praise God. So if 
They are offended by the name of Jesus and do not want to listen to today's miracle and the word from the Lord. That's their problem, not ours. And we are blessed that the demons have fled in Jesus' name. We are blessed by their absence, by their fleeing. Because the name of Jesus casts out witchcraft. It does. Amen. Praise God. God is good. Let's go in prayer. Write something down real quick. Okay, let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your name does cast out demons and witchcraft that they flee in your name. For darkness cannot exist where there is light. Praise Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this message that we're about to receive, and we thank you that you have powerfully and divinely confirmed your blessings upon it. Therefore, we pray that it will not be in vain, but rather will help people to truly give up their own will, take up the cross to deny themselves and their will, and to follow you and your will instead. We know that the world is not willing to do that, but we are always looking for, seeking for, as you are, Lord, that one person, that one next person that will deny themselves and follow you first and foremost. Pray, Lord, that you would connect us of our true brothers and sisters who will surrender to you. Cut you first. Who will be the prisoner, prisoner of the Lord. And obey you and your will, not their own. We pray this with a sincere heart knowing that you are seeking such a people, and your will is ours. We ask for our spiritual family, co-workers in Christ Jesus. We lift up to you all of our true brothers and sisters around the world for your divine protection upon them your help and your strength and your guidance 
and direction. Your favor, your grace, and your mercy upon them, upon us. And if we are wrong on anything, please correct us and show us the truth. And realign our thinking and our hearts to be in agreement with you. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus, the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega. Amen. Praise Jesus. Praise God. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. And as we turn to Matthew 10, I want to begin giving my testimony, part of my testimony, a small part of my testimony. And that is that, of course, like other teenagers, I had chosen to follow my own will, my own desires, what I want. And I did forsake the will of God and his path that he had laid for me, knowing that I could have gone in either direction, I chose willingly, sin willingly, to do my own will. In fact, in those days and times, I actually loved that song of uh, do it my way. I did it, I did it my way that old song that says, I did it my way. That was sort of my motto. And that is the motto of the devil, to do as you want. That is literally the uh, motto of the satanic church of Satanists, is to do as you want. They proclaim that as their, as their motto. And that is the way of the world. And it is the, nay, the way of the carnal man, the fleshly man, following the desires of the flesh over and above the, the Spirit of God, cutting ourselves over and above God, cutting ourselves first, not God first. That's the carnal way of man, and especially in... Teenagers, when our hormones are raging and we're very rebellious by nature at that age, that we are supposed to grow up Amen. and to mature and to become more responsible and to think more responsibly and to act more responsibly and to draw closer to God as we get older. And that is also the natural way of mankind. But many people never reach that. Especially in our day and society, 
where it's the microwave computer, internet, robotic society, where people want to fit in, look the way everybody looks, act the way everybody acts, listen to the same music, watch the same movies, go to the same places, so on, so on, so on. They want to fit in. They don't want to be called out. They don't want to be set apart and to be separate. That we are called to be separate. Amen. We are called to come out from their midst and to not be transformed into the image of the world. No. But for the renewing of the mind, for our transformation into to be more Christ-like. This is our calling. And it is the calling for all mankind. It is the desire of God for all mankind to be saved. The Bible says that. Amen. And Peter. That he is willing for all mankind to be saved. And for no man to perish, it says. No one. God doesn't want anyone to perish. Nobody is ordained to perish in the lake of fire. Nobody is ordained for that. Each person chooses life or death for themselves. We have free will. We choose life or death, our path or God's path. I chose my own will for decades, being in the trap, the bondage of sin, and my own way. But eventually, I did get sick and tired of the guilt, the misery, the consequences of sin, which there are actually many, but death being the main one. I got sick and tired of that that lifestyle and the dangers thereof, miseries thereof. And I knew that God was calling me and had always been calling me and that I had been running away from him in the pursuit of sin. Once I got sick and tired of sin and my own way and the consequences thereof, I surrendered to God and I said the words, Not my will, Lord, but thine. Amen. I told God at that moment on that day in November of 2004 that I would no longer follow my own will but his for the rest of my life. And I made that promise to God that it would be for the rest of my life I would follow his will and not mine. But how many people could make that promise to God and keep it. Very, very, very few. Because those are very brave, bold, courageous words to make a promise, a vow to God that for the rest of your life that you will follow His will and not your own. That is full surrender. Full surrender. That is something 
that most Christians will never, ever achieve until after the great tribulation has killed every member of their family, taken away their houses, their jobs, their careers, their PhDs, their college education, their money, their cars, all their riches, all their belongings, the air conditioner, and everything else. Only after everything in their entire life, everything and every person is taken away from them, only then will they hit rock-hard bottom like I did and finally make a full surrender to God. This is biblical, that it won't happen until then. The final year of the Great Tribulation is the only prediction of the future revival or repentance of the people in large numbers. Only in the final year of the Great Tribulation. That is the reality. But we don't have to wait until the final year of the Great Tribulation. We can repent now, this year, if we would be willing to. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, we've read this many times over in verse 38, starting in verse 38. Please look at this with me. Matthew 10, verse 38. And for the people listening for the first time, we're reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible, which is a restoration of the original scriptures using older manuscripts, such as the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Greek Septuagint, Papayas 967 and other papayas and other agent manuscripts to restore the scriptures back to the days before the Catholic corruption and the Masoretic corruption and uh, the Theodosian corruption and other corruptions. We're trying to go back as far as we can, as much as possible, and this is a continual process. We've been doing this for eight years now of perfecting and editing the Alpha and Omega Bible, which has proven itself over and over and over again as being the most accurate Bible that we have today. Absolutely, without doubt, easily proven. Absolutely, easily, easily, and undoubtedly proven. Amen. Starting in verse 38, Jesus says, he who does not take his cross and follow after me, oh, praise the Lord for that confirmation as well. The words follow after him. Follow him. Because that goes along with two other Bible verses that we're going to look at later on. And I did not recognize that the word follow me which I which I, I did realize it, but it didn't come into my mind as I was making these notes and preparing these scriptures. So it is another confirmation among confirmations. Amen. The word follow me. Remember that for future reference here. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. 
He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Amen. First of all, before I forget, the words, worthy of me. You always hear these people that have been brainwashed and programmed to always say the words, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're programmed to think that way, to think that we are trash, to think that we're not worthy, that you're supposed to say those words in order to be humble, that you have to put yourself down, that you have to trash yourself. That's the traditional church, traditional Christians, and traditional false shepherds that program the people into trashing themselves. God does not want you to trash yourself and put yourself down. Amen? He wants you to be worthy of him. And we can, absolutely can be found worthy of him. Amen? Amen. This is biblical. Amen. Jesus, in this verse, wants us to be found worthy. Amen. Amen. So if you're not worthy, then fix it. Amen. Amen. That's what you should tell somebody next time you hear somebody say that they're not worthy. You should say, well, if you're not worthy, fix it. Because God wants you to be worthy. Then notice that he also wants us to lose our life. That means to give up our way of life, our will, our way of living, our do's and don'ts that have come from our own misconceptions or our own opinions and the brainwashing of traditional Babylonian religions. Amen. To give up our own will and our own path. That's what that really means. Amen. And if you give up your own will and your own path, then you will actually find life, real life, joy, peace, contentment, in the way, life of the Lord. Romans 6 talks about us being at baptism, being crucified with Christ. That's what Christ is talking about right here. He's not talking literally, physically, giving up your life as far as dying, although it can include that. It can include that. But he's really more so talking about giving up your lifestyle, your will, your way. Doing it your way. That Romans 6 talks about us at baptism being crucified with Christ and then resurrected with Christ. As being born again. As being a new creation. A new person in Christ Jesus. But most people that claim to have been saved 
at the Billy Graham Crusade or any other church, a lot of them have not really changed what they wear, the music they listen to, the movies they watch, places they go, people they hang out with, job, house, career, locations, towns, family, friends, nothing, hardly nothing in their life has changed. So how can they say that they're born again, that they're a new person, that they have crucified themselves with Christ? that they have denied themselves and taken up their cross and followed him. How can they say that they have done that? How can they say that they have surrendered to Christ when there's not been any major change in their life other than maybe giving up drugs? Well, you can go to AA and be helped and to give up uh, to be delivered from alcoholism. They've got Narcotics Anonymous as well. They've got all kinds of drug addiction uh, places all over uh, the world. You can be delivered of drugs without Christ. You can. It's easier with Christ. Amen. But you can be delivered without Christ. People don't like when I say that, but it's the truth. They've got clinics and hospitals and people to help you with that all over the world. And a million websites for it, and a million books for it, and everything else. You can do it without Christ. But it's not as good, of course. Amen? Just because you gave up, gave up being alcoholic, gave up being drugs, does not automatically mean that you're saved, truly, and it doesn't Really, it does not equate to a full change of who you are. Not really. Because a lot of people, they give up the drugs, but they're still listening to the same music, dressing the same way, hanging out with the same people. So even though it's a great deliverance, it's still not full surrender to Christ. And with Christ, 50% is not going to be sufficient. 60% or 70 or 80 or even 90 or even 95% surrender to Christ is not enough. You're either going to fully surrender to Christ or not. Amen? You can't keep one foot in the door of, of false religion. Keep going to the Sunday churches, Christmas, Easter churches, Trinity churches. You can't do that and still be following Christ as far as long term. I know that God may have you there for a time and a season while you are still a baby, while you're still growing, while you're still trying to figure things out. But we're meant to put away the rebellion, the childishness, the Babylonian, the Babylonian. We're supposed to put away those churches and those lies and those false shepherds, and those false Christians. We're supposed to cast all of those things out of our lives, grow up, become mature in Christ, and put both feet in the true church and not one foot in and one foot out. Amen? 
So we eventually have to leave Babylon the entire way. And that's what Jesus said in Revelation 18, verse 4, to come out of her, my people, to come out of the Babylonian church structure, come out of those false churches, and not be partakers of her sins and her plagues. But when are we going to obey that? Amen? When? So there's a lot here in Matthew 10. That's an incredible chapter. Matthew 10 is just an absolutely incredible chapter. Amen. Praise God. But we should, God wants us to find ourselves, find Him. And we're wandering around in this life lost without Him without full surrender. We really are lost without full surrender. But people want to think, well, I said that prayer when I was a child. I got saved in such and such an altar, such and such a church, such and such a day, and yet they still not left Babylon. They, they, and that, that means they have not yet fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, they're still lost. Amen. You cannot truly and honestly claim that you are saved until you fully surrender to Christ. Period. Amen. There ain't no 99% with God. It's either 100% or nothing. But thinking of that follow me that I mentioned there, Let's go ahead and look at those other verses that talk about following him. Chapter 9, verse 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. Jesus went on from there. He saw a person called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. That means that Matthew was a government employee, tax collector, basically an IRS man in our today's equivalent. And Jesus, he said to him, to Matthew, follow me. And he, Matthew, got up and followed him. There was no hesitation. There was no questions. There was no debating. He just immediately got up, which means he left work. Amen. He didn't uh, he didn't ask permission from anyone else. He didn't say, let me go ask my boss or let me go ask for two weeks off or whatever. He just left. Amen. Immediately. No questions asked. How many of us would do that? Very, very, very few. Because our excuses is always, I got to have the money, I got to have the money, I got to have the money. For whatever reason, and those reasons may be very legitimate reasons of why you need money, rent, electric bill, whatever it may be, very legitimate reasons, excuses. 
But aren't we supposed to put God first? Amen? And when we don't put God first, then we make money and jobs and houses and houses and careers, families and friends, we make those things our God whenever we put those first before God. Absolutely. Look at chapter 4 now. Verse 18, Matthew 4, verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That was their job. That was their career. That is the way that they made their money, is by catching fish and selling fish. They was at work, even as Matthew was. Verse 19, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of mankind. And immediately, again, without any delay, they left their nets and followed him. Again, no debate, no excuses, no delays. They could have easily said, but we've got to get this work done. I'll see you later. I'll meet you at 5 o'clock. I'll meet you at 9 o'clock tonight. No, but immediately. Immediately. Again, how many of us could do that? Our modern day, our modern time, we really do make money and jobs our gods. Absolutely. God is my witness. Look at Matthew chapter 6 now. Matthew 6, the verses at the end of the chapter, you should know very well, uh, starting in verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and with these break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. And let's jump down to verse 29. For this reason I say to you, do not be overly anxious about your life, for what you're going to eat and drink, nor for your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Mean that? Now, some people misunderstand this, especially because of the King James. King James says basically take no call at all for any of these things. And there's actually homeless people I've actually met and actually talked to. More than one homeless person told me that because of this Bible verse, that we really should not take not even one thought of responsibility, of planning, of preparing for the future, but that God wants everybody to be just wandering around in the streets, not even knowing where their next bite of food is coming from. King James Version is very responsible for a lot, a lot of foolishness. Absolutely. Is more correctly translated to not be overly anxious about such things. To be mature, responsible adults 
we absolutely do have to consider the future, tomorrow, the rest of the month, how we're going to pay the rent. I understand that bills are coming due. But nevertheless, even with my understanding about that, because I'm not immune to financial responsibility. Amen? But nevertheless, do we take God at his word or not? To not be overly concerned about such things, but rather to put his will first, even as Matthew and Peter and Andrew did, absolutely. Put God first, even above their need for money. We jump down to verse 32, the word Gentiles represent lost people. Even though a Gentile can be saved, in the Bible, the word Gentile is a symbolism for not only non-Israelites, but lost people. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, money, clothing, food, all these things. For your heavenly Father knows, it should see, but rather than for. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Amen? But seek first his kingdom. It's, it, it, it's not saying that you can't seek food and clothing and rent electric bill, but seek first, first his kingdom. Amen. And his righteousness. And all these things, the food, the clothing, the money, these things will be added to you. He'll make a way. A different job, a different career, a different house, different friends, different family, whatever. Amen. Better. Amen. Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble or sufficient trouble of its own. Amen. Sufficient are the troubles of tomorrow. Praise God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. First, not second, not third, not fourth, not fifth, but that's the way most Christians are doing, is putting God, his will, his kingdom, his path, his truth, second and third and even last. Now let's take some examples. Some examples, I've already used the example of people choosing their own job, their own career, their own financial will, their own financial path. And I'm not saying that absolutely every person must quit their jobs or change their jobs, but there are many, many cases where people should change their jobs or quit their jobs altogether, there are many cases of that when people should be doing that and refuse to do so. 
that does happen quite often. I've seen it a million times. And related to that, the financial things is their financial priorities, what they buy, what they purchase. You got these young men out here buying these, uh, what you call them, the big wheel trucks, where the truck is like 20 foot tall, giant wheels taller than a man. They pay so much extra for that type of truck and the to make the truck um, fit it to where it can fit that type of wheels and then the expanse of the wheels themselves. Very, very, very expensive to do that. All that money, extra money wasted in just looking cool. And I've got to admit, it does look cool. It does. And I know that at that age, because this is mostly young men in like 19, 21, 25 years old, I understand that at that age, you're less responsible, you're less mature, you're still rebellious. But nevertheless, it's still true that that is a huge, huge waste of money. And very obviously, they don't have their eyes on the Lord. Amen. I guarantee you some of these guys are going to the Sunday churches and the pastor never saying anything negative about this huge expense because they dare not offend any of their church members. They dare not step on their toes at all. They dare not lose a member over anything. And that's how they are able to maintain a very, very large congregation. In this day and time, when you see a mega church or any large congregation, that is why. Because they don't step on their toes sufficiently to point out sin, to call names. They don't believe in such, even though it's in the Bible over and over and over. They don't believe it. Because they don't really believe the Bible. They're ignorant of the scriptures, and it's the blind leading the blind. Therefore, nobody is correcting these people about such things and other things. It is the sad, very sad state of the society and the false church that we live in today. The priority of financial personages. How much we eat out, where we go to eat out, what food you buy. Do you choose the cheap meat or the most expensive meat? All these things and more. Every financial decision, every personage of food, clothing, supplies, one group of people choosing the fancy, high price stuff, not caring how much it costs. And I know people like this personally. They got the money, so they don't care what it costs. No thought at all comes into their mind what it costs none. Because they don't have their mind on the Lord. Because if they had their mind on the Lord, then they would be more responsible responsible with their money and what they buy and actually care 
about how much it costs so that they can actually take some money to invest into the gospel to, to, to do more than 10%. Amen? Because if you have the money to not care how much anything costs, then you can afford to give God more than just a measly little tiny 10%, which is nothing. Because the Bible speaks of more than just tithing, but also free will offerings as well. How many people give those? Amen. People think that they're sufficient in Christ just by giving their tithing, but yet they never give a free will offering. Well, that's not having a heart of love and a heart of giving. Amen. And there's a lot of people that would not even tithe even if it even if the word tithe meant one percent rather than ten percent, they still wasn't tithe. That's the truth. That's the God the honest truth. Because some people, a lot of people, hate God's law. Literally, literally hate God's law. And they have been programmed and brainwashed by the false churches, false Christians, false preachers to hate God's law. Those are the workers of iniquity, the workers of breaking the law that Matthew 7 warns about. Amen? But yet, Hebrews 7, talking about Jesus being King Mechagiac, that Abraham paid tithes of everything, everything, a tithe of everything, not just of food, amen, but a tithe of everything to Jesus when Jesus walked on this earth in the flesh of, of King Mechaziah. And Jesus the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He's still King Mechaziah. For in Hebrews 7, it says that. Amen? So why wouldn't we pay a tithe of everything to King Mechaziah, even as Abraham did? And he did that even before Moses was born. So it's not just Moses' law, amen, but people want to overlook things like that. And they don't have the Spirit of God to even understand Hebrews 7. It blows right over their head. Blows right over their head. Financial priority, personages. What you own, the more that you own, the more it owns you. That's an absolutely true statement. The more that you own, the more that the things of this world own you. Absolutely. Because you have to take care of those things. You have to find a barn to put them in. You have to find a bigger house to put them in. You have to find a, another storage unit to put them in. You have to find another box to put them in. The more you own, the more that you are owned. Bob was very clear that we should live a life of a meminous, I know I'm not saying that anymore, a meminous Excuse me, I can't speak English. 
have to find a synonym for that. That we are supposed to live a life where we live with the least amount of items and themes that we could possibly live with, the least amount. I remember in 2008 that within a 30-day time period, I felt that I was supposed to get rid of everything. And I did go through a process of selling and giving away everything that I owned, and it was a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And I gave away computers, full table, which I still miss, still I wish I would have kept it, but I couldn't kept it because I moved into a tent. The only thing I kept was my bed and moved my bed into a tent because I have a very bad back that runs in the family. So I had to have that little bit of comfort. And I kept my car for transportation. And I kept my tent to live in. And my camping supplies and my cats. They moved into the tent with me. I kept my cat litter box and my cat food and different things like that and some clothes, some food, some dishes to cook my food in. But I sold and gave away a lot of furniture, computers, stereos, pool table, water knickknacks, and lots of other stuff. Moved into the tent and lived in tents for seven full years, all year long, every year for seven years. Had to move a few times but continued to live in tents for seven full complete years all year round. And it was a great experience, and I would never trade it for anything. That was a wonderful period of time of growing in the Lord. Amen. I know that not everybody can do that. And I know it's much easier for a single man without wife and kids but Abraham had a wife and kids, and he did it. And Isaac had a wife and kids, and he did it. And Jacob had a wife and kids, and he did it as well, as far as living in a tent, moving around, not staying in the same place all the time. And people today would be like, but that was way back then. That's thousands of years ago. Nobody can do that today with a wife and kids. But they can, if they would. Then you have single guys without wife and kids that won't even do it. Amen. There's really not any excuse for a single guy that's not willing to surrender to the Lord. Houses, family. Friends, jobs, careers, they are people's gods. And God comes dead last, absolutely. 
if not last, close to last. Their own will, their own plans, their own path. I do it my way. I don't give a crap what the apostle says, what the Bible says, what God says. Oh, no, but God, oh, you don't understand what God wants for me. They will totally ignore the advice of God's servants that God has chosen for the administration of the church, thinking that we don't understand this is not his generation. Excuses, excuses, excuses. There's very little masculinity in the young generation today, people that are around 33 years old and younger, very difficult to find masculinity here. It exists, but I'm also seeing a huge amount of immaturity of little boys that are still hanging on to their mother's breasts all the way up into their 20s and 30s now. I just have to tell you the truth, exactly what I'm seeing, and that's the God's honest truth. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8, and I'm about to share with you the miracle, divine, powerful blessing and confirmation from God upon today's message. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. He didn't even know where he was going to go. People today, young men, single and married both, and he was married with kids. But both even single men today would be like, how, I'm not going to leave a house, shelter, and job, money, and not even know where I'm going. Amen. That'd be very, very, very hard to find such a good man upon this earth, such a masculine man upon this earth. It'd be very, very, very difficult to find in this generation. Verse 9, by faith he lived as a foreigner in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with his children, with Isaac and Jacob, fellow hires of the same promise, which grew up, live in the same lifestyle, even with their wives and children, also living in tents. Amen. For years and years. Verse 10, for he, Abraham, was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is Theos. Amen. In other words, he was looking for 
the kingdom of tomorrow. In other words, his goal was God's kingdom. That's what that means. Rather than physical houses. Amen. Even though he did have much land and he did have much cattle and wives and children and things like this, he had it pretty well made, but he could have had it even more well made. He could have had a mansion. Amen. He had the resources to build a mansion. Literally, really and truly, he did. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had the resources to live in mansions. But they chose to live in tents instead because that was God's will for them. So even though they had blessings of the Lord physically, it had to start out with full surrender. It had to start out with full surrender. Abraham had to leave his parents, because that is the natural way of man, to leave his parents. Amen? That's the natural way of man. But you, you got men in their 20s today still living with the mommy and daddy, or just daddy or just mommy. It's the same thing. And it's silly. I'm just going to say it exactly the way it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. A man that is in his 20s living with one of his parents or both parents is not the will of God, no matter how much you try to convince yourself that it is, it's not. Because it limits your masculinity, your manliness, your responsibility to be a man, to have your own counsel, to have your own tent, whatever. That is the natural way of mankind that God designed. God never intended a man to stay with his parents or even a girl to stay with her parents. That was not God's will. That's not God's design. It's not natural. Amen? And what it really and truly boils down to, even if it steps on your toes is wanting to depend on them. Absolutely. Afraid to fly the coop. And if a person was really and truly a good parent, they would be kicking their children out of the house and say, grow up and get your own place. That would be what a good parent would do. Amen. Absolutely. It's not being a good parent to spoil your children and to teach them that they can stay home and depend on the parents. I've seen this over and over and over and over and over. We need preachers to just spell it out, to just say it the way it is, not be afraid to say it. Because if the parents won't say it, then the pastor needs to say it. Amen? And if you had really good friends, they would be telling you the same thing. If, you, if a friend was a real friend, then your buddy would be saying, man, how come you're still sucking your mama's titty? Get out! 
Be a man. And that's exactly the way a real buddy would talk to you. Absolutely. Amen? Abraham lived in, originally, his own town, his, his own nation, where he came from. That when God called and chose Abraham to be called out and separate, Abraham left his nation, his town, his community. He left his parents behind. He left all of his family and everything he knew to go and wander out in the desert, not even know where he was going. Oh, but that's not my generation. Oh, yeah, it's not your generation. It's definitely not. But here's the divine miracle. After all my bitching, let me praise the Lord. Brother Gerald woke up with a song in his heart this morning. He wrote down the words of that song. And on the bottom of the page, he wrote Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10. He wrote out the entire verses on the bottom of that page underneath that song. He had no idea that I was going to bring up these very specific, very specific verses today. He had no idea that I was going to bring up Abraham. He had no idea even the, the sermon message, the topic of, the t- of today. He had not seen my notes. I had not talked at all about anything of what I was preparing in the sermon notes. And he woke up with that song this morning. God put it on his mind, his heart, wrote down Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. That's God. That's not me. That's not Pastor Tim. That's not Apostle Zimmerman, whatever you're going to call me. That's God. So you can say all you want to that my words is my opinion. But right here, the words of God, the movement of God, the spirit of God, testifying to his own words and his own will. Amen. Brother Gerald, I want you to sing that song now. And then we've got some more verses that we're going to go to in Ephesians and Isaiah. So we've got two Bible passages still yet to go through after our brother sings this song that the Lord gave him. Amen. God is so good to do this for us, to confirm his word, confirm his will, his message, put his stamp of approval on this message, to give us this message. God is faithful. God is good. Amen. Okay, so you want to go to the keyboard or you can come up here? Oh, I play a little tune on the fiddle first. We're lacking a fiddle. Okay. <laughs>
everything they do. Yeah, I'm sure Jesus here. Brother Gerald's going to sing us a song. Okay, so he's getting ready. While he's getting ready, let's go ahead and just turn to Ephesians 5 as he just prepares and get his notes prepared. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 5. Just turning to that page. So we'll be there. Ephesians 5. And we'll be in verse 11. Ephesians 5, verse 11. And that way, after the song, we'll be already in the Bible where we need to go at. Amen? Ephesians 5, verse 11. Okay. Until I see the return of my nation, time when there will no longer be lost wanderers. Keep me, Jesus, at home by water. Amen. Praise God. Now, now I need to come up here and read that song, just in case anybody might not have fully understood. Just read the words. Take me back home, Jesus, to the waters. I'm living in a world I don't belong, or I don't belong. Show me to that country I'd forgotten. Take me back home, Jesus, to the waters. Lead me onward, Jesus, to the waters. Guide me to the home I've always wanted. Want to see those mansions of the Father. Lead me on where Jesus the waters. 
Keep me, Jesus, through trial and temptation, till I see the return of my nation. Time there will no longer be lost wanderers. Keep me, Jesus, at home by your waters. Now give us your testimony, Bow, even your parents and family and brothers and sisters. Back in 2019, I had already been living with my parents for way too long. I was, what, 28 then. Still living with my parents. I have been studying and studying and studying all sorts of things. Get a high, maybe get a high paying job, leave somewhere, do something. Nothing ever really seemed to work out. Look for all these places. Maybe I can go there. Maybe I can work there. Nothing seemed right. Nothing seemed right. And seeing the world, the, the world, the way the world's going, just really that what looks like the end of civilization. It really does got me started reading the Bible, starting seeking God. About a year after I started, started having hard questions, couldn't answer, no one could answer, seeing that what people were saying that Sunday churches wasn't right, or they were leaving things out, missing, and all these cults, the Y name cults, all that garbage. And one question or other, wanted to know, I think I wanted to know how to tell when the date started, how the calendar worked, how God's calendar works. Not, it's not the Roman Catholic calendar when it says 12 months, so on. And that's what led me to, to see this ministry that is truly of Jesus. After taking a little time to see, see and confirm it, get familiar with it, I left. I left my parents, came here. Best decision I ever made, and I'm not going back. Not going back to that place. And I also wanted to add, and Matthew 6, verse 19, right after Peter and Andrew, calls Peter and Andrew, he then calls the sons of Zebedee, and it says they left their boat and their dad. Ooh, Matthew 6? Yeah. It's in the, it's, I don't know how you skipped over it, but it's right there. Okay. So I'm going to put bookmark here in Ephesians. And let's turn back to Matthew 6. Tell you. Brother Gerald is a great biblical scholar, and God really gives him the eyes to see things like this as well. Amen. Matthew 4, right after he calls Peter and Andrew 
So here it is in Matthew 4, starting verse um, 21. Matthew 4, verse 21. Going on from there, after Peter and Andrew, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat of Zebedee, their dad, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their dad and followed him. Wow. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Praise God. In fact, I actually had that written down to go that far down into the verses through verse 22. But had not actually read last night or this morning uh, those particular verses, even though I had it written down. So that also is a confirmation from God. I had written down verses that I hadn't even read. And, of course, I've read them at some point in my life, but you know what I mean. And uh, Brother Gerald saw it, brought it back up. So we see that happened with Peter, Andrew, Matthew, James, and John all leaving their jobs. And it would have been more than just leaving their job for a few minutes or just for the day because they followed Jesus day and night, and night, 24 hours a day, everywhere Jesus went for the next three and a half years after that. It wasn't just leaving their job just for the day. It was three and a half years of following Christ, walking extremely long distances, and Jesus at one point of time saying that the foxes have hose to nest in, but, or to live in, and the birds have nests, or whatever he said. But the Son of Mankind, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. So that would have been true for all the disciples that was following him as well. They were wandering around, not lost, but following the path of God and putting God first. Amen. And trusting God for the food. Trusting God for where they would go, that God would take care of them. God is good. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And and also think of my wife, Brittany, that when she came down from Pennsylvania to be with the ministry. She didn't have a car. She didn't have a lot of money. She came down with only five bags on the bus, left a lot of stuff behind, and her family, and uh, her sister and family and mom that live up there and leaving her family and her, her hometown and where she had lived all most of her life, and really everything that she knew, she left left behind and came down with only five bags of stuff, clothing, and walking on a um, a, a walker, and a lot of pain, 
And the day before that, not even knowing if she would even be able to get on the bus because she was in so much pain with uh, broken bones in her knees. That was literally just fragments of bones. And she came down here, moved in a tent right across the gravel road from my tent. I put her up in a tent and had the tent already ready for her. Came down there and lived in the tent that she had never lived in a tent in her life. And being a woman, she could have easily said, I'm not going to live in a tent. You know, most women would be like, I'm too afraid of the spiders, which she is very afraid, like most women, of the spiders. And even like myself, I hate spiders. Amen. And I've met a lot of people saying, how can you stay in a tent because of the spiders and this and that and this and that and this. But people just grab for any excuse that they can, any excuse. She could have used a million different excuses to not come to Tennessee to be with the ministry. I don't want to live in a tent. I'm in too much pain. I don't have much money. I've never, you know, I, this is my family here, my life here, everything I know is here. So there's a million excuses that she could have used. Amen? But she didn't even try to use any of those excuses. She took a leap of faith. Amen? She took a leap of faith. Followed the guiding of the Lord, came down. And so she's a living testimony that even a woman can do that. Even a woman can do that. Amen? God is good. Now finally, let's go to Ephesians 5, verse 11. Do not propitiate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even rebuke them. Amen? The reason I bring up that verse is because another example of following God's will rather than our own is how we dress and where we go and the friends we choose and the friends we hang out with and stuff like that because we're not to be propitiating in darkness. Amen? But a lot of people are still listening to ACDC and all types of uh, music that they should not be listening to and not participating in. And I'm not overly legalistic a lot, like a lot of conservative Christians are. There are some people that go way overboard and say that the only music that you're allowed to listen to is only gospel and nothing else. That's being extremely legalistic, extremely legalistic. There's nothing wrong with listening to a song of country or bluegrass or soft rock or soft pop or something like that or classical. There's a lot of other uh, genres of music that would be uh, completely acceptable as long as the particular song itself the lyrics 
and the vibration of the music, sound of the music, the energy of the music, as long as all of those are acceptable. Uh, and you also have to sometimes look at the artist, the singer, the band, and the words that they have said and so forth. And of course, no matter what group or singer you look at, they're going to all be sing uh, sinners, regardless even gospel music. Amen. You look at even the gospel music, you're not going to find any artist that is perfect, that is uh, a real saint. When you look at any of the gospel music. Uh, so we have to be careful about not being over-legalistic about the country music stars and, and so forth. We're not going to be saints even in the gospel music genre. So I'm not over-legalistic over like other people are, but nevertheless, there are a lot of rock songs and pop songs that are totally unacceptable to the spirit of God. Absolutely. You got to consider like the Beatles, and I used to love their music, that the Beatles, uh, one of their band members, had, uh, had spoken blasphemy against Jesus. And I'm convinced to this day that the guy that shot him was doing the work of the Lord, that God did tell him to do that, as he said that God had told him to do that. And I know that most of the time when people say that, uh, that is really just the devil or their own imagination. But there are times, if you look at the Bible, that God can and has done such things. Um, and God doesn't change. God can use mankind to bring judgment to certain people that have spoke blasphemy against him. Absolutely. I believe perhaps even with this submarine that just got destroyed looking at the Titanic, it could have been judgment from God. I'm not saying absolutely, but if you look at some of these people, their lives and what they stood for, the World Economic Forum, some of them was part of the World Economic Forum and millionaires or billionaires, and we know what the Bible says about that and I believe that it's at least possible that could have been judgment from God as well. God works in a lot of different ways to bring judgment upon this world. But we have to think about music and clothing and trends that we continue to not change after our conversion. We have to remember that we are walking billboards and whatever our shirt displays is an advertisement. A lot of people wear shirts that say very demonic things or advertise demonic bands, groups, and you're advertising that darkness to the world. You're not being a good billboard for Jesus when you're wearing ACDC sh shirts and KISS shirts and, and, and that type of thing. And then also, 
we have to consider how that our friends in school and in society have rubbed off on us about what we wear because everybody wants to fit in. So when we was going through the school in these in this current generation and uh, recent years, how that the clothing for a lot of the guys is just black clothing every day. Every day, next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. It's always black clothing all the time. And I know they try to make excuses that uh, so that the dirt won't show and stuff like that. It's just lame excuses. Because the reality is they're just trying to fit in and follow the world and look like the world, act like the world, and not be separate, but to fit in with their darkness. And that's exactly what it is. It's darkness. It's exactly what it is. Even if you disagree, the truth still stands. Amen. It's darkness. Nothing but darkness. A person should be wearing blue, white, tan, yellow, uh, the whole array of the rainbow, amen? The whole array of colors. One day I wear a blue shirt, the next day a red shirt or whatever, the next one a gray shirt, whatever. And my shorts the same, amen? And my shorts I have folded up in my closet. You have a green one, then a blue one, then a tan one, then a brown one. And then back to the blue again or whatever. I'm not wearing the same color every day. But you look at somebody else's wardrobe and it's all black, nothing but black. Every pair, every pair of pants, every pair of shorts, every, every shirt, or at least 90% of it. That's not fashion. That's not hiding dirt. It's darkness, demonic darkness. And you see people all over the place. You can go out here at Walmart and see 10 men wearing black shirts all at the same time. And I'm not kidding. That's how bad it is. And, of course, their mentality is just really just fitting in because everybody else do it, they do it. They don't intend for it to be darkness. But the reason it exists in the first place how it got started, the origin of this, the spirit behind it, the reason behind it is demonic darkness. Then people get saved and they walk around still in the darkness without even knowing that they're still walking in darkness. You know why? Because they're still walking in their own will, their own mind, their own way of looking at things. Amen? When we get saved, we start changing the way we look at things. Sometimes I put on a, a TV show from my childhood that I used to love as a child, and I'm like, I hate this. Amen? Some of them. Some of them I still like, because that's part of who I am, certain TV shows I grew up with. But other shows... It's like, I hate this. 
because I look at things different now with different eyes and I can see the subliminal messaging and the uh, demonic activity in the TV show or in the song or in the music that I didn't recognize when I was in rebellion, when I was lost. Amen? When we get saved, God changes our eyes. We look at things with new eyes in a new way. And we're able to see things we never saw before. Amen? And I encourage people to walk around their home and lay hands on everything, every little thing while praying in the Spirit, which does not mean in tongues. It does not mean in tongues. I have never prayed in tongues in my life and probably never will because I don't have the gift of tongues as far as that type of tongues. But walk around the house in the Spirit of the Lord, in His presence with your mind on Him. Laying hands on each item, asking, is this acceptable to you? Is this acceptable? Is anything wrong with this? What about this over here? Father, what about this over here? Is this acceptable? Is this acceptable? And try to listen to the Lord about each item. I think if some people do that and have a sincere heart, listening to the Lord and correction from the Lord and what the true will of the Lord is, what is the perfect and good and acceptable will of the Lord, if, if that's your true heartfelt desire, then God will show you. I believe that. And I believe also at the same time other people will lay their hands on something dark and not hear the Lord's voice because they still have too much of themselves in control of themselves and they've not surrendered to God enough yet that even when they did lay hands on it, that they wouldn't hear the voice of the Lord or not recognize it is God because they've not yet surrendered enough to God to hear of God. Amen? And that would be true as well. But nevertheless, I'll still recommend it in case... God may choose to speak to you. Amen? And if you don't give him the opportunity to speak to you, then you're not going to hear him. Amen? Quince not the Spirit. You've got to give him the opportunity to speak to you. You've got to be willing to listen. You've got to be willing to ask. Amen? Knock, seek, you will find. Amen? Knock and it will be open to you. You got to at least ask the Lord whether He answers or not. He should at least ask. And then continue to grow in the Lord so that over time He will continue to open your eyes. I remember for, you know, I got saved 2004, so that'd be 20 years next year. And for the first 10 years, it was literally every year of throwing something away. Literally every year. Because it took time to grow 
in maturity and to grow in the Lord and His will. Amen. So even if you don't hear God saying to throw it away this month, He might still yet tell you to throw it away next month or next year. You don't just assume that there's nothing to throw away. Because he may yet walk in your eyes. Amen. So that might be a good yearly thing, like right, right at Passover time, when we're doing spring cleaning. Amen. Which is the origin of spring cleaning. The word spring cleaning actually originated with people cleaning their homes for Passover, getting rid of the crackers and the leavening and the things like that. That's truly the origin of spring cleaning. And that would be the perfect time to go around the house, laying your hands on everything every year in case that would be the year that he would actually uh, open your eyes to something. Let me see what I got left here. Now, talking about do not propitiate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but even instead rebuke them. Clothing, friends, family, false churches, false preachers, false pastors, false Christians. There's a lot of different things that people need to get rid of out of their life. Get the darkness out that they're still compromising with. Amen. But one more thing there is that we need to be boycotting things that we formerly did love, like the Beatles, Disney, Disney movies, Disney cartoon, toys for the kids from Disney, Disney characters, NFL football, things like this. People are still holding on to these things even though it's been proven over and over and over again that the Disney Corporation and the NFL are very, very demonic. It's been proven over and over and over, and these people still will not give these things up. That means these things are God's to you. Amen. Once it is exposed, you should be willing to give it up no matter how much you loved it. No matter how much you loved it. We've got to be willing to give up demonic things. The NFL, how they have repeatedly um, done the halftime games of Satanism over and over and over for decades now, that every halftime show is very extremely demonic and how that the owners of the teams and the owners of the NFL, how they have become out more and more communist and more and more of the pro-transgender Salmonite agenda and Democrat agenda and uh, support of Obama and support of Biden, uh, support of uh, George Soros and different things that they have repeatedly and repeatedly made support of demonic things, abortion, uh, different things. Uh, uh, the list is endless. And yet people still don't give it up. Very sad. 
It is a God to them. Um, and to not boycott Disney, you're sacrificing your your children to the devil. Amen. That's exactly what that is. And a lot of the video games, and I'm not legalistic, there are certain video games that would be fine. But a lot of the video games are, are very demonic. They have witchcraft and demons and ghosts and all kinds of crap uh, and are way too bloody, teaching people to rob and to murder and, and different things like this. And this is why children, as I've said before, are able to kill their parents so easily. It's because the video games have trained them to think of life as being a video game. It's just a game. It's just a game. It's not going to be serious to actually kill people. It, it, it's turning them into uh, zombie robots. It's a very dangerous thing. A lot of parents don't care what their children do. It's a very sad state of society. Another thing about clothing is the skull and bones. Because it's cool. Because it's what other people do. Wanting to fit in with the wicked world. The skull and bones representing death. We should represent not death, but life. Not darkness, but light. Same thing with Halloween. Very, very, very demonic pagan holiday. Celebration of death darkness, celebration of witchcraft, celebration of evil, darkness, and Christians compromising with it. Even churches having a fall festival on the same day, thinking that they're not participating in darkness just by changing the name. Very bad, very ridiculous. Finally, Isaiah 58. We'll turn there now in the book of Prophets. Isaiah chapter 58. Verse 13. Open this window, some fresh air in here. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If because of the rest days or Sabbaths, you turn your foot away from doing your will on the holy days and to call the holy days delightful, holy to theos, if you, will, if you shall not lift up your foot to work nor, sp nor speak a word 
and wrongful anger out of your mouth. Then shall you trust on Jesus, and he shall bring you up to the good places of the land and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of Jesus has spoken this. Amen. The main part is here is that if we will not work on the Sabbath days and if we will turn away from doing our own will on the holy days, but rather call the holy days delightful and holy to God, then God will bless us. It is a sacrifice of our own will. Because a lot of people would want to go to the football game, basketball game, the baseball game, the carnival, county fair, the whatever, whatever event. We always, whenever there's an event that we actually do want to go, and it's on Saturday, we don't go. Isn't that right? Amen. We don't go. No matter how much we would love to go. If it's on Saturday, we don't go. Period. There's not even a fault of going. Oh, it's Saturday? We can't go. It's automatic. Amen? It's automatic. Because the Sabbath is holy to the Lord. It is a day set apart from all other days. On Friday, I could go to the carnival. Or Sunday, if it's wolfing. If it's not wolfing, you're out of luck. Amen? Saturday is a day to mostly stay home or else go to the congregation. If you have a local congregation that keeps the Sabbath and the holy days and preaches only in Jesus' name, and doesn't believe in the Trinity, doesn't do Christmas and Easter, if you're blessed enough to have a local congregation that fits that description, then by all means go and fellowship face-to-face. Absolutely. Amen. Because most people don't have that opportunity. Most people don't have that available to them. Most people can't find such a congregation in their local area. That's why we have this broadcast available for everybody. Amen? So if you got that available to you, you should seize it. Amen? That's not the Seventh-day Adventist church that doesn't describe them. Amen? This was God's way, God's will versus our own will. Our own will may want to do the other things on Saturday. But God's will is for us to go to church, attend the congregation, listen to the sermon, have fellowship, rest, maybe sleep in more that morning or go to bed early. Read, maybe read the Bible some, maybe even watch a Christian movie would be fine, as long as it's not teaching pre-trib rapture crap, stuff like that. Amen? 
nothing wrong with watching a Christian faith-based movie on the Sabbath because it could be edifying, restful, help calm your mind. That'd be fine. And, uh, nothing wrong with watching a little bit of the news on the Sabbath. Nothing wrong with watching a little bit of the weather on the Sabbath. These things are fine. Nothing wrong with taking a short, casual walk. But you don't want to go jogging. You don't want to get on the treadmill. You don't need to go to the gym on God's holy Sabbath. Of course not. Because it's a rest day. But you could take a casual walk around the block, a small block, it'd be fine. Amen. We don't need to be over-legalistic about it. You can get out, maybe drive down to the local park, see the ducks, get a little bit of sunshine. That's fine. You don't have to be reading the Bible 24 hours of the Sabbath, like some people think. You don't have to be that legalistic. Amen. But we do need the Sabbath day to be different from other days. Absolutely. Amen. In all things, which we should say, not my will, Lord, but thine. We should really pray that every day. Every day, in at least one of our prayers, which we're saying 100 prayers a day, of course, we're saying prayers unceasingly. We're praying as we're driving. We're praying as we're walking. We're praying as we're working out. We're praying as we're working. We're praying unceasingly. That doesn't mean every second of the day. doesn't mean that. But it does mean talking with God as if he is ever-present, which he is. Talking with him, even as you would a, a husband or a wife or a friend that's in the same room. You wouldn't just be ignoring them. So you'd be talking to God throughout the day. And But out of all that, one, at least one or two prayers a day of being more evolved in God, more focused on God, more focused prayer that should include, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will, that your will prevails in all that I have asked for. Amen? We should include that at least once or twice every, every, every day. Because that will help us to have a constant reminder that regardless of our wants and needs, it really should be God's will first. It really needs to be God's will. Sometimes we want the wrong job, the wrong house, the wrong friend. And it's really out of the desires of our flesh or our wrongful or wickedness or unrighteousness. We don't really realize it. A lot of times we don't realize that it's from our own unrighteousness. So we must pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will, your will, Lord. Amen? And we need to say the bold prayers. 
If I'm wrong on anything, show me. Realign me, my thinking, my heart, my desires, my will. Realign all of this to your will. Give me your eyes. Help me hear your voice. These are things we need to be praying. Bold prayers. Amen. Ask that you may receive these things. More discernment. People need to be praying for more discernment, more integrity, more honor. People have forgotten what honor means. Honesty. Being honest. Making wise decisions. People need to pray for uh, wisdom. People need to pray for understanding. People need to pray for intelligence. People need to pray for God's will. Amen. We praise the Lord Jesus Almighty for the divine miracle confirmation of today's message of Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. We praise the Lord Jesus for putting a song on Brother Gerald's heart. And we're going to close this with a song that's called Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey. And pull this up here. There it is. Yeah.
confirm that you would like to end this meeting by pressing star zero. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.